0: So a few weeks ago, about two weeks ago when I preached, when I gave a sermon, I asked the children how many more days till Christmas and they said 11 more days. As we just witnessed, there are now 362 more days till Christmas. And I don't know about your children, but right after Christmas, I would be all downcast because it's a whole nother year till Christmas. It's a whole nother year until presents. And my birthday isn't really at a good time of year to space this out evenly. It's in January. So once January is past, I have to wait another 11 months for presents. It's January 16th, if any of you want to write that down. <laughs> Sometimes, as we come off the holidays, uh, we leave the excitement, we leave all the hope and the joy of Christmas behind. We, we return suddenly, to classes, to homework assignments, to tests, to, uh, to work, to everyday busyness, to anxiety and stress. So we get all excited, we get all hyped up for Christmas and then it's like we crash afterwards. And maybe you don't know this, but a New England winter is coming. And it's long and it's dark and it's cold. Hopefully, this year, we won't have as much snow. That Christmas song says, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. I don't think that's true. I have a feeling that with 2015, we're going to have troubles. We're going to have anxieties and stresses. So my question today is, where do we find hope after Christmas? Do we have to wait until the next major holiday to find hope, to find joy? Where do we find encouragement and happiness after the joys of the Christmas season? Well, we're looking at 1 Peter 1, through 3-9, and I think this passage not only points us to the hope of Christmas, I think it points us forward to another hope, to the hope we find in Easter, and then the hope we find in another holiday, a holiday that is not yet on our calendars. See, I think hope after Christmas comes through Christ Jesus, and it comes through what he did for us, comes through Easter. So let's look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. I'm going to read the whole thing again, even though we've already read it, uh, and just try and follow along. obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we find hope after Christmas, as this passage says, through faith in Christ Jesus. We find hope after Christmas through trusting in Christ Jesus and believing in Jesus. So what does it mean to have faith in Christ? What does it mean to have faith in Jesus? Well, we find hope after Christmas through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is what verse 3 points us to. It calls us, tells us that we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So what does it mean to be born again to a living hope? What does it mean that God has caused us to be born again? Well, John 1, 12 through 13 says, But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to, to become children of God who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of God. Maybe some of you have heard that term born again Christian. This is where it comes from that we're born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, blessed Trinity. And what does it mean that we are born again by the power of the Holy Spirit? It means that that God Himself comes and changes our heart he does something on the inside he shapes us and he forms us and he gives us the faith we need to believe in jesus so, i mean god god takes our old man and, and, and makes us into a, a new person spiritually on the inside he gives us faith he convicts us of our sin of our, our wrong doings before god so my question is why do we need god's help to help us believe we why do we need God to to, to bear us again to, to 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 cause us to be born again in order to believe why do we need that it's because what I'm about to tell you is so incredible it's so fantastic that we need God's help to believe that it's it's simply supernatural that we can't believe unless God gives us some ability to believe in the message of Christianity and so maybe if you don't believe this, you can say a small prayer on the inside. Lord, help me to understand whatever's coming next. What's coming next? What the message is so incredible, and sometimes we, we, we forget about it because we're so caught up in, in doing the busyness in church of things, but let's just focus one moment on the message of Christianity, and that is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, this is what it's all about, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, he came, he lived, he lived a perfect life of obedience, and then one day he was crucified on a cross, and he died. Roman soldiers put a man named Jesus to death. This just wasn't any man, this was God in the flesh. This was God himself, born on Christmas Day. And he stayed dead. Jesus stayed dead Friday. He was dead Saturday. But then on Sunday, the resurrection happened. Jesus rose from the grave in power over sin and death. Let's all remember that and how important that is and how encouraging that is. Because it means that if we trust in him, if we have faith in that death and that resurrection, that it really happened, one day too, one day we too will rise again from the grave. I know this is simple stuff for those that have have heard this many times before, but this is the most important stuff. So we have to go over it again and again. See, we find hope after Christmas through faith in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm going to give you one one good reason. Uh, So there's this fancy term called apologetics, and it's pretty much reasons to believe that what the Bible says is true. And I'm going to give you one, sort of one and a half reasons to believe in Jesus' resurrection, why, why, why it's worth believing in why it makes sense. And to do that, I have to speak in German, so just listen to me for a second. The German philosopher Karl Marx once said, Die Religion ist das Opium des Volkes. You can clap if you want, but... Uh, <laughs> I once, I've spoken in Hebrew and I've spoken in Greek, so I figured it's okay to speak in German here. And that means, in English, religion is the opiate of the masses, of the people. Religion is the opiate of the people. If you want to learn more about this, you can look at the Apologetic Study Bible. This is where I uh, found this. Pretty much what Marx believed, if I, if I understood the context right, I, I, I read it a couple times, Marx believed that religion causes many of society's problems and that we use religion to feel better about ourselves. In other words, we kind of do that thing that hurts us. We keep going back to that, that drug that just causes us more and more and more problems. It doesn't do us any good. Well, uh, it's interesting because if we look back at the, the early church, we look back at Peter who wrote this book, we see that, uh, that this wasn't really a drug at all because he didn't get anything good out of it. They really didn't feel very good. They felt they didn't feel good in kind of the world's standards. See, Peter wrote this letter, 1 Peter, in about 62 to 63 AD. And this is about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in, at this time in the early church, there was persecution, there was suffering. And Peter wrote to a people that had never seen Jesus, that, that had just heard the message, and they too were suffering for what they believed. They were suffering for this message and they could go and they could actually speak with the people that claimed to see them, to see Jesus rise again from the grave firsthand. And, and we see uh, in other parts of the Bible that the 12 disciples, Claimed to have seen Jesus rise again from the grave. And then 500 other people claimed to have seen Jesus rise again from the grave. And the whole church, the whole early church, they never, they didn't gain any status. They didn't gain power. They didn't gain money. They didn't get, gain authority. Most of them died horrible, wretched deaths. And so the question is, if they were able to discern whether or not this religion was true, why would they go and die for it unless it were true? See, Peter claims to have seen Jesus. He claims to have seen him like firsthand, and, and, and so did the 11 other uh, disciples, the, the, the other followers, the apostles. and they all died horrible deaths. So the question is, did, were they hallucinating? Were they all hallucinating at once? Uh, that's nearly impossible, medically speaking, the, just the nature of hallucination is an individual thing. It's not a group thing. Were they lying? Well, if, the, if they were lying, then, you know, what good did it do them? They all died. Peter himself was crucified upside down on a cross, according to tradition. Lee Strobel writes in The Case for Christ, people will die for their religious beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true, but people won't die for their religious beliefs if they know their beliefs are false. And so I think Peter was willing to die for what he believed because he knew it was true. Even though it got him no worldly riches, it got him no worldly power. And I think that's the same for the other early believers. Why were they able to sacrifice everything? Why were they able to let everything go? Because they were looking forward. They were looking forward to a reward to an inheritance, to a reward kept in heaven, to the reward of eternity. See, we find hope after Christmas not only only through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also through faith in the rewards of heaven. Verse 4 talks about an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. The inheritance we receive, the inheritance the passage is talking about, is a place and it's also a person. It's a place. Uh, when, we, when we die uh, right now, our bodies go into the grave, but our, our, our spirits go to be with the Lord, and we're in heaven, and we spend time with Christ Jesus. And one day we will return to a new heaven and a new earth. We'll have glorified, resurrected bodies, a whole new beginning. And that's the place that we look forward to. This inheritance is a real place that looks similar to what we have outside, but the purest, perfect Glorious form of it. So the inheritance we receive is a place. But even more important than that, it is a person. It is Christ Jesus himself. See, we get to spend all eternity with Jesus. With the man, the God in the flesh who was willing to die for us. To save us. His bride. We get to spend all of eternity with someone who thinks we are the most precious person in all the universe with Jesus himself. And this inheritance, it's being kept, it's being preserved, kept for those grammarians out there is in the perfect tense. That means Jesus won our inheritance and it's being kept even now to today and it will continue to be kept all the way until we get to receive our inheritance, this place and this person we get to spend eternity with Jesus. Jesus won this inheritance through the cross, through what he did at Calvary. And it's waiting for us. We find hope after Christmas through death, through the faith in death in the death and resurrection of Jesus, but also through faith in the rewards of heaven. Now Monica and I celebrated our first Christmas in our new home. We spent the morning, a little bit of the morning, slept in, at our home, which was nice, it was in a place that we love, and then we spent our afternoon with my in-laws, it with the people that we love. And I like to think that Christmas morning, Christmas day, is a little glimpse of eternity, because in eternity we will spend time in a place that we love with a person that loves us. And this is what Christmas is about spending time with people that love you, that enjoy you. The reward of heaven is spending all of eternity with someone who loves you. You. Some travel thousands of miles to get home for Christmas. It's a little bit like our walk, our journey through life as we go through ups and downs to get home. Home for Christmas. Home for eternity. We find hope after Christmas through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, through faith in the rewards of eternity, the rewards of heaven, and the return of Jesus. We find hope after Christmas through faith in the return of Jesus. Verse 5 talks about God's power that we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What is this salvation ready to be revealed in the last time? It is the return of Jesus Christ. So we talked about Easter, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and now we're focusing on a final holiday, a holiday that is not yet on our calendars, that will supersede all holidays, that all holidays point toward. It's the hope of the return of Jesus Christ, and we will spend eternity with him. But until that time, the Scripture says God is preserving us, God is getting us home, and how is he doing it? I think it's very interesting that he doesn't send an army to get us home to eternity. He doesn't send uh, angels to get us home to eternity. He uses something very weak, something very fragile. He uses our faith. He uses our trust in Jesus. He uses our belief. Isn't that amazing that God would use us to preserve us? God's guarding our faith. God's protecting our faith. This faith belongs to us, but God insures it as a gift. I I recently transferred one of our car insurance, uh, cars onto a new insurance policy, onto our home insurance policy. Now the insurance company guarantees this car, even though this car belongs to us. The insurance company guarantees the car, even though the car belongs to us. God guarantees our faith, the faith of his people, the faith of those who trust in him, even though this faith belongs to us. God isn't controlling me like a robot or a zombie. He's not controlling my cognitive belief. He, this, is, this, is, this is me. This is who he's created me to be. And yet he's using it. He's, he's, for, he's forming it to trust in us. Notice that we have to pay for our car insurance. And I think that that still applies that we still have to work at our faith, that this isn't something that we can just let go on the wayside. We still have to, have to work for it. But God is the one who has won our faith through something that is worth putting our faith in, through the cross, through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God has paid for our faith. He's paid for our salvation. He's done it all, and yet he uses us all the same. We find hope after Christmas through faith in Jesus faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus, faith in the rewards of heaven, and faith in the return of Christ. The reason that we need God's assurance that our faith will last is because hard times will come because life happens after Christmas. We can expect that 2015 isn't going to be an easy year because none of the other years have been that easy. Things aren't always going to go our way. Life happens after the holidays. So how can we find hope even when we experience failures, even when we experience hurts, even when we experience sickness and troubles? Well, we find hope in the trials of the new year through trusting Jesus, through trusting in Christ Jesus. We find hope in the trials of the new year through Jesus, through trusting Him. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The believers Paul, uh, Peter wrote to were being grieved or were about to be grieved by various trials. See, at this time in church history, in the first, uh, the first century, there were several just gruesome persecutions that took place against the early believers. This was the time around the time of Nero's persecution. Oh, Nero killed many, many Christians in gruesome ways. And Domitian, he came a little bit later. The believers were going to be persecuted. And yet, Peter is pointing out a purpose in the trials and the persecution. So there's a reason for it. And there's a reason for the trials and the troubles and the tribulations that we go through as well. Maybe some of us are being tested for our faith. Maybe you're just going through life's troubles. And and that has a backward kind of way of testing your faith. How, God, could you let me go through this? Well, we find hope and can rejoice because of the salvation we have in Jesus. We rejoice. What do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the salvation that Jesus has saved us, that he loves us, that he cares for us. We rejoice in him. We find hope. Notice this doesn't make us any better than anyone else. Christians are probably <laughs> worse than most people. But we recognize our sin. We say, God have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm fallen. I do horrible things. And when we look at our, our, our evilness and our, our wrongness, somehow that has a way of helping us find hope because we can give it to God and God takes it and forgives us. We find hope in the trials of the new year through trusting in Jesus. We look to the Son, to the Son of God in the midst of our dark winter for hope. In New England, this will probably not surprise you, but about 10 to 20% of the population suffers from seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD. And that's the, 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 the thing that we experience when the, the sun mysteriously vanishes for like six months, and the clouds come. And we get mopey because of a lack of vitamin D. We go through depression and sadness. It's much different in other states. Florida's like 2%. We need to focus on the Son of God in our darkness. And when I lived at uh, an apartment near seminary, my seminary experience, uh, I had a sun lamp. The apartment I had had a sun lamp that uh, the guy before me really needed, and I guess it worked. Um, but the idea was it would provide those rays of sunlight to your skin when you couldn't get them in the winter, and maybe some of you have those as well, and you really appreciate them. You had to spend 20 to 30 minutes with your sun lamp to feel energized, to feel encouraged. Well, it's no different for our walk with God. We need to take time to spend. That we, we need to spend time with our son, with the son of God who loves us, who cares for us. So this winter, look to spend time with him. Soak in the sun, soak in the, the love of God. Just sit, spend time praying in, in the word. These aren't complicated things with brothers and sisters in Christ who can love you and encourage you in the faith. These are the ways that we can soak in the, the son of God. It's not about forgetting our problems. Many systems in the world say, we're going to master your breathing and and, and you're going to put all your problems out of your mind until they've just faded away. Christianity is different. It doesn't say forget about your problems. It says look at Christ who has conquered all your problems. Christ has conquered the grave. What greater problem is there? And so when we go through our, our real problems We can find hope in Christ. It's not about forgetting. It is about (laughs) remembering Christ, not just about forgetting. When we focus on Christ, it's easier to see what God wants to do in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our suffering. Believe it or not, God wants to use these trials for our good. God wants to use our troubles for our good. And he uses them uh, in two ways. First, verse 7, we look, says, so, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. Our faith is being tested by fire. What does that mean? Well, one version, the NIV, says gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. See, gold goes through a refinement process. You don't stick it in a fridge. You don't send it on a nice vacation to get high quality gold. You heat it up. You put it in a furnace. One encyclopedia explained that the Egyptians, actually, when Israel was in bondage, uh, taught the Israelites how to refine gold. So the Israelites took uh, gold nuggets, which were, you know, some gold in there, dirt, whatever, rubble, and they would pound them down, and then they would put it in a mortar and grind it up. So it was dust and then they would put it on a slanted table uh, and then they would pour water on it and then all the, the dirt and the grub would wash away and you would have a pile of gold there. And another commentary explained that they would that they'd take gold and they would heat it in a furnace to 1900 degrees Fahrenheit, 1900 degrees. And once the gold is molten, the impurities would rise to the top and they are skimmed off the surface. Today, they do things like putting in acid and, and, and melting it three times. But back then, it would skim it off the surface until it would get shiny and reflective. Here's a quote. A goldsmith knows the gold is ready to cast when the liquid gold becomes mirror-like and he can see his face reflected in the surface. A goldsmith knows the gold is cast, is ready to cast when the liquid gold becomes mirror-like and he can see his face reflected in the surface. God uses our trials, God uses our troubles to heat up our life, to, to skim off the impurities, to, to help us let go of those, those things that we trust in that are not him, to remove our sins Our sin pattern. He's forgiven us, but He has to remove that sin pattern, that old man. And who does God want to see reflected in our surface? He wants to see Christ Jesus reflected. He wants to see the face of His Son. See, God uses our trials to form our character, to help us trust Him. God uses our trials to refine us. So, first, God uses our trials to refine us, and second, God uses our trials to bring Him glory. How does verse 7 end? These trials, they may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ is the return of Christ. And what do our trials do for God? Our trials bring God praise. What does this mean? It means that our trials bring God fame. That when we go through tough times, we're able to find peace. When we're able to look to God, even if we're just trying and we don't really have the peace yet, that brings God fame. That brings God fame to those around us. That brings God fame in this world. Our trials also bring God glory. Our troubles bring God glory. It reveals His power. When he does answer our prayers and when he speaks into our troubling circumstances, we see a little bit more of God's presence. It reveals his power. Our trials also bring God honor. When our faith costs us something, it honors God. When we go through hard times and yet we look to Jesus, that's costly faith. Don't you want a faith that brings God fame? and glory, and praise, and honor. I know I do. First, God uses our trials to refine us. Second, God uses our trials to bring him glory. This is an authentic witness that brings God praise. In the 1700s, the skeptic David Hume would go and hear George Whitfield preach. So David Hume was not a Christian, not a believer, a skeptic. Uh, so he didn't Believed that there wasn't a God, but he didn't think there was enough evidence to believe in a God. So not quite an atheist, maybe in that agnostic uh, area. And he would go and he would hear the famous, famous Christian preacher preach to talk about Jesus. And Hume's friends would make fun of him, say, why do you go and hear him preach? They asked, why do you go to hear Whitfield preach if you do not believe the things he preaches? to which Hume replied, because he believes it. People will want to hear about our faith, what we believe, when we really believe it. If it's a half-hearted belief, people aren't going to want to know what we believe. Our authentic witness, our our trusting in Christ when times are hard, when, when troubles last, that brings God praise and glory and honor. We cannot avoid the trials of this year. 2015 is coming. But we can love Jesus and we can trust Jesus through it all. Verse 8 talks about though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you believe in Him. A good translation of verse 8 is you have not seen Him, yet you are continually loving Him. Though you do not see Him now, You are continually believing in Him. Peter is pointing out to these early Christian believers, they never saw Jesus. They didn't see Him rise from the grave. And yet they love Him. They're continuing to love Him every single day. They're also continuing to believe in Him every single day. Peter is saying this is a wonderful thing. This is a really good thing. And I know some other people that, have not, that did not see Jesus rise from the grave and still love him and still believe in him, and that's you and you. This is a wonderful thing. Good job. God is so honored when we love him and when we believe in him, even though we have not yet glimpsed him with our own eyes. This brings God praise. God rewards us with a joy that is inexpressible when our hearts are satisfied in Him. Maybe for some of you, this is the thing that we keep on chasing, that joy that is inexpressible, that is satisfied, that is at peace. How do we gain it? Through faith in Him, through loving Him and believing Him every single day. And that doesn't mean we're always going to be happy. We're always going to be joyful. Hopefully, I can bear witness to this, you have an internal peace, a place that you can go back to that Christ has risen from the dead. And he's worth trusting. So I want to give you all one New Year's resolution for 2015. It's not a big one, but it comes from the text. My challenge to you is to pray to the Lord that, that he would help you believe in him, and love Him continually throughout the year. That you would grow in your love and your belief of Jesus in 2015. Now, if we were to graph this out, that doesn't mean that every single day you have to have more and more of a spiritual high. That's what I'm saying. But my prayer for you is that in 2014, if your belief and love of Christ are here, that somehow... At the end of 2015, you would look back and say, wow, I, I trust Jesus a little bit more. I love him a little bit more. 2015, it went through down, down times. It went through up times, up times. But I trust him more. That's what our faith walk's all about. We find hope in the trials of the new year through trusting in Jesus. God uses these tough times to do things we could never imagine. One of the toughest months of my faith journey, of of my walk, uh, was January, 2010. It was a very cold, dark winter in Northern Virginia. At that time, uh, I was co-leading a men's Bible study, a college Bible study for guys. Uh, And I was leading it with a friend uh, who walked away from the faith. He went through uh, just a lapse in faith and really turned away from the Lord. And that was one of the darkest, most depressing winters of my life. Because here was someone I loved, here was someone I respected, who was co-leading a Bible study with me, and he walked away. And I didn't find hope quickly. This wasn't like a flip the light switch with Jesus and everything's better. But it was a continued just turning to the Lord, reading my Bible, trusting Him, praying, crying out for God. And you know what? I did find hope. And God used this experience in about April of that year to call me to seminary. He used this experience, many other experiences, but this was a part of it. I just saw a need uh, for some church leadership. And so we can look back and say, one of the darkest winters of of my faith walk so far, God used that to help bring me here. To Gordon Conwell, to Emanuel Church, to meet my wife. God can use what you're going through, and I don't know where the story ends for each of you, but God can use your troubles to do something incredible, to change your life, to challenge you, to grow you. Those aches and pains that we are going to go through in 2015, God can use them for his glory and to refine us. We find hope after Christmas through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And that walking with him through 2015 makes walking through 2015 possible. And if there are any here who do not yet walk with Christ, would you grab them in your perfect timing, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to close with a benediction, with a blessing. Would you all please rise? This is the very last verse in 1 Peter. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Go in peace.